Welcome to the MPC Podcast. I am Tim W. Gill, pastor of Medora Pentecostal Church, and I'm thrilled that you've joined us today. Here at MPC, we are committed to bringing hope and building lives. One way we do that is through this podcast. Thank you for listening, for sharing and reviewing what we do here. It is our desire to connect with you, and you can find us on Facebook, or you can find us at our website, medorachurch.com. It is our prayer that today's message inspires you, encourages you, and that the kingdom of God is advanced in your life. Let's get right to the word of the Lord today. so glad to thank the Lord for a beautiful day and it looks like finally spring has sprung as long as it doesn't spring a leak we're all right it's so good to be in church thank the Lord for all of you that are here I have a subject tonight a title tonight that I put together it's a threefold text that we like to talk to you about tonight It's called The People, The System, and The Bride. I didn't find any particular scripture to go with it, but I got a bunch of them that'll go with it later. But none particularly to start with. But anyway, The People, The System, The Bride. Now I'll tell you what I need, so if you would get comfortable, I need one hour for each of them. Because in way back yonder, I have taught on the people for at least an hour. I have talked on the system at least an hour. And I've talked on the bride at least an hour. So I'm just telling you ahead of time. Amen. No, I won't be that ugly or mean. I'll give you the Reader's Digest, okay? That'll do it. That'll be the Reader's Digest version. But let's begin with prayer. Father, we thank you tonight. We are gathered here in your name. We've come to praise you. We live in a world that's filled with chaos and confusion. So many problems that are going on in our world. And it seems like it's getting worse instead of better. We need help, Lord. We need revival. We need an awakening. We pray for your help tonight as we share these thoughts that we have received from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you for standing. The people, the system, the bride. If you'll bear with me. The people are the people of Israel the people of Abraham, the Jews. The Jewish people present to us the most controversial race that the world has ever known. For some 4,000 years, amid all civilizations and countries and under all conditions of government, there has existed a distinct people with laws and habits and customs distinctively their own. Their story is unlike any other people that the world has ever known. Their history is 
without parallel in human history. Although oppressed, downtrodden, carried captive to other lands, scattered among nations like the fabled Phoenix, they have risen from the ashes of their dispersions and appear on the forefront of the news of the day again and again on the pages of history. First of all, they stand out in antiquity. There are only two peoples other than them that can claim a history as long as the Jews, that is the Chinese and the, uh, the Egyptians. I say two people, actually three. The Chinese, the Egyptians, and the Hindu or the Indians. But the Chinese, the difference is they've always been in China. And the Egyptians have always been in Egypt. And the Hindus or the Indians have always been in India. But up until 1948, Israel had been out of their land longer than they'd ever been in their land. And yet they remain the same. The golden age of Israel's glory was long before the palmy days of Greece and Rome, long before Socrates and Plato taught their philosophy or Herodotus taught history. Before all other authentic and circumstantial records, the nation of Israel was an organized... Oh, don't you like my shirt? Okay, I just thought I'd get that out of the way. The nation of, the nation of Israel was an organized, civilized, and a well-established people. The Jews had literature before most, nation, most nations had letters. A literature that today in the scripture is more widely spread than the literature of any other people. In fact, the concept of justice based on a written code of law is of a Jewish innovation. No other people have ever had such manifest and visible tokens of the divine presence as the Jew. For them, the Red Sea was driven back. The Jordan River was parted so they could cross over. They were miraculously fed for 30, 40 years in the wilderness. Their shoes didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out. My, my. And then they were sheltered with a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. At the shouting of the people and the sound of the ram's horns, the city fell flat and they took control. No people have ever contributed to society such great men as the Jews. Abraham, the father of the faithful. Moses, the great lawgiver. And such statesmen as Joseph in Egypt and Daniel in, e in uh, Babylon. Such kings as David, such a wise man as Solomon. Yes. And of course, that man of all men, the Lord Jesus Christ, by birth was a Jew. Consider monotheism, the teaching of monotheism, that is one God, was given to us by the Jews. The Gentiles, no Gentile nation ever become monotheistic on their own without first being influenced by the Jews somehow. The great Shema of the Jews, which they quote daily, emphasizes to the world the message of one God. Deuteronomy 6 and 4, can you quote it? Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, is one Lord. <laughs> Consider also the Bible, the Word of God. The Jewish people were writers of every book, every page 
of this book that's called our Bible, the Word of God, except probably the book of Luke and the book of Acts, which was written by Luke, which many think and feel was a Gentile. Paul states it this way in the book of Romans chapter 3, verse 2, much every way because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. They were given this commission way back under Moses, beginning at Moses. And the last writer was that aged man by the name of the Apostle John. And every one written by, again, by a Jew except Luke and Acts. No race has suffered the persecution as the Jew has. In 1020, Canute banished all Jews from England. In 1492, King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella banished all Jews from Spain. In 1560, Jews were banished from Prague. In 1683, Jews were ordered to leave all French colonies. In 1438, that great De black death plague as it was called that took some three to four million people in Europe was blamed on the Jews in, four, in 1394 Charles IV expelled Jews from France in that period of time I'm getting my papers mixed up uh, 16 and 48 250,000 Jews were killed in Ukraine during World War II. We're all familiar with that period of time where Hitler had 6 million of them put to death in the concentration camps. Antisemitism, that is anti-Jew, is still very prevalent and prominent here in the good old U.S. of A. as well. With their rejection of their Messiah, Jesus Christ, and consequential in invasion and conquering by Titus in 70 A.D., when he destroyed Jerusalem, the temple, and whatever, the Jews were driven out of Jerusalem, out of the land of Israel, into the longest period of being out of their homeland that they had ever and would ever suffer. It was in 1948 when David Ben-Gurion stood with a select group of his fellow Jews and declared openly, publicly to the world that Israel was home to stay. Declaring their independence, it shocked the world that Israel was once again recognized as a people, as a nation. Our president, I'm very proud to say, Harry Truman, which, by the way, was from Missouri. But anyway, our president was the first world leader to recognize Israel's independence. The Israelis fought their battle of independence in 1948, but that wasn't the last battle, as you're aware of. Again, they had to come back in 1953 and fight again. Remember the Seven-Day War in 1967? There were some Jews or people here in the United States, I remember that occasion, when they heard the, the war started, they were trying to get off work and trying to get together to go over there and help them fight that battle. And before that could all be done, the war was over with because it only lasted seven days. And that's when they took that war that they were weeping at and thanking God for. Again, in 1973 and ever since then, they've had a lot of conflicts 
They're surrounded on three sides by an enemy nations that want to annihilate them, drive them into the sea. It's the help of America, the United States of America, and God's divine plan for this people that has kept them from annihilation. One of their Jewish prophets prophesied of events which the Jew will have to face before they will ever know, ever know ultimate victory from their enemies. As you know right now, they are being bombarded with rockets, weaponry from their enemy, and they will continue to do things like this. Iran and the other nations around them want to destroy the Jewish people. For something about the Jews, there's something there that people just don't like, and they'd like to destroy them. I think it's because they're the people that God laid his hand on and has had his hand on it, on them ever since Abraham. Daniel put it this way in chapter 9 and verse 24, where he prophet was given the prophecy to write the angel gave it to him. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. See who it is? Upon thy people, the Jews. Upon thy holy city, Jerusalem. Not unto us, not Medora, Indiana. To f finish the transgression, make an end of sins, make reconciliation for iniquity, bring in everlasting righteousness, seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Well, Seventy weeks, of course, that's 490 years, but 69 of those weeks are finished already, been fulfilled, fulfilled, if you will, in the time of Christ. But there remains one more, a seven-year period of time, which is going to be the darkest of all times that Israel has ever gone through. Jeremiah puts it this way as he cries out in Lamentation chapter 1 and verse 2. She weepeth sore in the night, her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she hath none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They are become her enemies. And that's the way the Jews feel today in so many instances. The book of Revelation describes for us the terrible darkness of that seven-year period of time in which the man of sin, the lawless one, the beast, as he has different titles, will attempt to do, that man will attempt to do what no previous power has ever been able to accomplish, and that is to annihilate the Jewish people. He's going to fail too. Mm, I've read the back of the book, folks. I know who's on their side. He's never lost a battle. Did you know that? In Revelation 12, the Bible describes there for us, John does, what's going to take place in that day. And there in verses 13 and 14, when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, this is after the battle in heaven between Michael and the angels, the dragon, his, his imps, then they, we know there who wins that battle. And the enemy is cast out. And when, he, when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman, that's Israel, which brought forth a man-child, that's Jesus. And to, and to the woman, that's Israel, were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time uh, from the uh, face of 
the serpent. Three and a half years. While the people of Abraham are out of step with God, they are not out of the mind and the plans of God. God's not through with them. One of these days when the dust of the battlefield of Armageddon has faded away, Zechariah describes something wonderful for us in two places. First in chapter 13 and verse 6. And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. That will be a revealing day, a day of revelation for the Jews that will stand there on that day when our Lord Jesus and us shall return to bring victory to the people of Israel and the people of that day and that, that generation will look upon him, recognizing at last that he is Messiah, that he is Deliverer. And I don't understand it all there is to understand, but he has the wounds in his hands still yet in his side and his feet. And maybe it's just for the distinct purpose to show to them he is the one that hung on that cross. He is the one that suffered not only for us, but for the whole world. Amen. And then in Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 9, jumping over to the next chapter or so, Zechariah in that passage says, And the Lord Jesus shall be king over all the earth. In that day there shall be one Lord and his name one. And that name is Jesus. Jesus. We could go on and on. As I said, it takes an hour to at least, maybe more, to really give them justice. But we will stop there so I can start sermon number two. But my point is that the future of the people of Israel, there are dark days awaiting them, but the sun's going to shine eventually. Victory is God made a covenant way back yonder with a man of the name of Abraham, and God keeps his covenants. He will keep his word. And the day of victory, and there's so much more that could be put into this, into this, into this, into this sermon that tells us again and again through scriptures that God's hand is upon that people, upon the Jews. I could also say God's hand is upon MPC. That God's hand is upon that blood-washed group called the church. Those that are bearing his name and possessing his spirit, God's hand is upon us. But let's not, in sermon number two, let's get with that system. Because that's squeezed in there between the two, if you will. And I, I title this, this sermon, The Serpent Still Lives. The serpent still lives. We began by reading a long passage of scripture, bear with me, from Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 13 beginning, where Ezekiel helps us to understand about this fellow. He says, Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, jasper the uh, sapphire, uh, and the carbuncle, the emerald, the carbuncle, the gold, the workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes were prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. It's obvious who is talking about here, a, a special angel. 
Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, thou hast, and thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, or the kingdom, and I will destroy thee. O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire, thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring, thee, bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee. I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. All they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror and, shall ne and sh never shalt thou be any more. This, this is some description of this special angel that was created by God in the beginning, the cherub that covers. Some feel he was over this earth originally, but that's supposition. But regardless, to think of what he was, who he was, but he was too big in his own eyes. Isaiah describes that condition for us in chapter 14. Verses 12 through 14, or 15. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Daniel, he sets the stage for us as well for describing the powers that will seek to control the world, which of course will be by the influence of the devil himself, which uh, has been referred to by Ezekiel and Isaiah. In the book of Daniel, chapter 2, listen to what Daniel said, beginning with verse 31. O thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image, his head was of fine gold, his breast, his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and Part of clay. Nebi had had a dream and he didn't remember what it was and how, how to understand what it was all about. You know the story. Calling his wise, wise men, soothsayers, to come in and, and they couldn't, couldn't uh, tell him the dream and, of course, couldn't tell him the interpretation. And so he threatened to kill them all. And Daniel heard about it and he said to the king, Give us time. We know a God that can take care of that. So him and, and his three buddies went to prayer and God showed uh, Daniel the dream and that's what it was all about. Nebuchadnezzar had a big vision or a big vision of a big man 
statue or whatever with a head of gold, arms and shoulders, if you will, of silver, a stomach and thighs of brass and legs of iron and feet with iron mixed with clay. And Daniel began to describe and what he was describing, what this heathen king had dreamed was a history, if you will, foretold of empires and powers that would seek to have dominion of the world. And it began with Nebuchadnezzar. And God said through Daniel, thou art the head of gold. Thou art the head of gold. It was, it was uh, I don't know exactly how to say it, but it was, it was good to think, I'm, I'm gold, I'm the head of gold. But then he said, uh-oh, but after you, is going to be a less powerful and yet you're going to be conquered. And that was, of course, the shoulders of silver, which would be the medial Persia, uh, the Persian Empire would succeed and destroy uh, Babylon. And then, of course, the thighs of brass, the stomach, the thighs of brass would refer to Alexander the Great and the Grecian Empire. The legs of iron, of course, would represent the Roman Empire that would come into th uh, power. Daniel also described the feet he said they're part clay and they're part iron. In other words, they mix, but they don't mix. They don't adhere to one another. This is the finished product, the feet with the ten toes and so on. That's the finished product of the system of evil in which Satan inspires and brings to prominence and with a desire to control the world. You can read about that in Revelation chapter 17 concerning those toes and, and whatever. Each of these powers have sought to control the entire world, and each was succeeded by an inferior power. The last one, of course, was Rome, who was in power during the time when Jesus Christ was ministering and died on Calvary. Rome was a power that also sought to control the world. And far as they were concerned, they had it in their day as far as the world was concerned. Then Rome divided into two powers. Two, they separated uh, into two entities and two locations, which represented uh, two lakes. And then finally, as you know, it faltered and fell. But the powers... The powers which were headquartered in that area of the world, they may have laid down, but they're still around. The troubles which have brewed for years in the Middle East are hotter than they have been since, uh, since they've been in existence, I guess. They're getting worse and worse. Ezekiel chapter 38 and chapter 39 that describes the invasion from the north and all of the nations of the countries that will be involved with it, which will be Russia and Turkey and Syria and so on, will be involved in that onslaught that will come. They, 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 th they think there's something else. They're going to come in and conquer Israel and put them out of existence. But God's looking over the clouds and the balcony of heaven. There is a unique element to be found in all of these empires of power and that there is the king, the ruler, of course, that's on the top, but there's also a religious element that accompanies and influences the powers of that empire. That is something that 
we don't overlook there's a religious power. There was a religion in Nebuchadnezzar's day. He called all those religious fellers. That was a religion back there in, in Pharaoh's day, wasn't there? There's always been a Jezebel trying to pull the strings of what was going on. John describes this for us, if you will, the last one in Revelation chapter 13, verses 11 and 12, where John wrote, I beheld another beast. In verse 1, he just said, I saw a beast coming up out of the sea and described its horrible, terrific, scary-looking features with heads and horns and whatever. And then in verse 11, he said, I saw another beast. This one's coming out of the earth. It has two horns like a lamb. He spake as a dragon. He exerciseth all the power of the first beast and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So this is the false prophet. This is the religious element involved in that day and period of time who joins forces with the beast to promote the beast, to demand that everybody bow to the image that's made for the beast to take his mark. The most powerful force in the religious world today is the Church of Rome. Will you agree? The most religious, powerful force, religiously speaking, church speaking, uh, I guess you'd call it church. I, I think this religious force, I think that's what Jesus was speaking about in the book of Matthew chapter 13 and verse 33, where there Jesus spoke about a woman and a woman in Bible, in the Bible referred the, like this is always a reference to a religious system, a false religious system. And Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, leaven, which is false doctrine, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leaven. And one of the things that you'll find in your study of history that's related to these empires and the powers of the world was their connection with religion, the worship. It will be the same with the man of sin, the beast, the lawless one who will rise to the position of power in the last days. The false prophet will be the religious element of this system of power and evil. Listen to what John says in chapter 13 as well, beginning with verse 15. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causeth all, small and great, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. When this was read by our fathers, grandfathers, and great-grandfathers, they must have shook their head and said, no way this can happen. No way. They had trouble counting to 10, some of them. So how in the world can the whole world be numbered, be marked? But you and I, of course, as we are all aware of, we are living in that period of time when we're all marked or we're all numbered. Maybe I should put it that way more appropriately. We're all in the system. You can't help it. If you bought a car on credit, you're in the, if you got a bank account, 
you're in the system. You're in the system. It started, I guess I could say, I don't know exactly where to put it. Maybe I should say in Genesis chapter 3 it started. But anyway, it started for us, as far as my way of looking at it, with a social security card. I'm one of those that have one of those old social security cards. And it says on mine very plainly, not for identification purposes. Liar. <laughs> Anytime the government says it's this way, believe it's the other way. Anytime the government says we'll do this for you, don't believe it. <laughs> you better think that something else is going to take place. And then came the credit card. Mm-hmm. Well, who wants a credit card? Who doesn't have a credit card? There, the, there are business, you know, there are business right now that won't accept cash. Yes, sir. Is that right, Brother David? There are business right now that won't accept cash. You know what the next step is? Digital currency. You think those banks that are failing and falling apart are by accident? You think the monetary system, our, our uh, over $30 trillion in debt is by accident? No. If that fellow that's in now gets back in again, it's Katie bar the door, sure enough. Did I, I'm not, let me go on. Our, pre, our presidents want about, what is it, 86, is it 86,000 IRS agents, 87,000, whatever it is wants that many agents to spy on each of us to make sure we comply with Big Brother's demands to handle our money the way he wants it to be done. I say he, he is a, he is a, he is a, what do you call that fellow you? Puppet on strings. You know, in all the years, and it's been several, in all of the years I've paid my taxes, I've never had a problem with Mr. IRS until a couple of years ago. I'd never gotten a letter from IRS except to tell me what I did and made, anyway. But I got, I got a letter, oh, first of the last year, I guess it was, and they questioned. In essence, they said, you didn't give this much money to the church. They were questioning what I was counting as charity, contributions. Well, I sent the letter to my CPA, and, and I haven't heard any more. Well, yes, I did. I did get a letter later, later, about eight months later or so, and they finally come to the conclusion I did give that much to the church. But I've never, isn't that something? There are right now, I've got to go on. There are right now people that are having a little old, about the size of a grain of rice inserted in their body, in their hand or their arm usually, under their skin that has all the information that the world needs, government weeds. They can even go to that cash register, that place where you stick your credit card in and just swipe their hand. They're already doing it. They're already doing it. Right now, it's optional. I said right now, it's optional. But wait. We've already been taught to accept our government telling us to close businesses to stay home, to wear a mask, to get not just a shot, but get two of them. No, no, no.
get two of them and then get a booster. And then every couple of months or so, get another booster. They want to boost us and boost us and boost us. But I'm, I'm waiting for the boost. I'm waiting for the boost. It's not a matter of whether Big Brother will take over our lives. It's more like how soon will this demand be made? If this was the end of the, theory, of the story, well, we would all be mistaken if we thought that. But let me hurry on. I've still got five more minutes for this sermon number two. We have, we have the privilege of reading what's going to happen to this old system of evil. And I wish I could spend an hour on that because it's exciting to know it's going down, folks. Every country, every people that denies the existence of my Savior called Jesus Christ, it's going down. Everyone that's like to get rid of all these things called the Bible, it's going down. Amen. And so John put it this way in Revelation chapter 19, verse 19. And I saw the beast. Uh-huh, that's that man of sin. And the kings of the earth, those that join and coot with him, and their armies gathered together to make... <laughs> you stupid, stupid, stupid people. To make war against him that sat on the, ho the horse. That's Jesus. And his, against his army. That's us. That's us. That's the church. And the beast was taken, and he, with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that had worshipped his image. Both they, these both were cast. These are the only ones that goes that way. They both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the remnant in that battle of Armageddon were slain with the sword of him that sat on the horse. I know who the, I know who the conqueror is. Amen. He's riding a white horse. He's got crowns on his head. And that is, out of his mouth issues a great sword. The remnant were slain with, his, uh, slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Now, that's the beast. That's the false prophet. That's the beast. But there's another character involved. Remember, I started the sermon number two with the, sermon, the serpent still alive. What about the serpent? That's the beast, the man of sin, the lawless one, and his cohort, the false prophet. That's it. But what about that other feller? What about the one that started it all in Genesis chapter 3? Whoa, hold your taters. In Revelation chapter 20, read verse 10, and that, there you got it, where it says the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. Uh-huh. They done been there a thousand years. They still hadn't burned up. Where the beast and the false prophet are and should be tormented day and night. How long? Forever. Mm, not just forever. Because forever is a limited period of time. But when you add that other ever to it, mm, it means there's no end to it. Forever and ever. Amen. Now you're ready for sermon number three. <clears throat> Amen. What time do we usually go home on Tuesday night? Is it 9.30? Or... No. No. Sermon number three. Amen. We've looked at the people, and they're a, a, an interesting 
subject to study about. We've looked at the system, and that's an interesting study as well. We didn't completely finish with the people because they're tied in with the bride and the future. But we can finish with that system because it's, we know where it's going to wind up one of these days. Oh, my. Sermon number three. Mm-hmm. Matthew 16 and verse 18. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock mm-hmm, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus Christ in Calvary introduced something to the world that was not expected and something which the prophets really had never saw or seen. In fact, Paul in Ephesians chapter 3 speaks of this as a mystery that was hidden from eternity past. Paul states in Ephesians 3, 9, to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world have been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. And then in verse 11 of that same chapter, Paul tells us that according, it's according to his eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, this, this bride, this entity, this body of believers, the Jews tried to stop it. The Jews tried to put it out of business. They stoned them. They imprisoned them. They killed them. But you can't kill what God has said. Nothing's going to stop him. Amen. That church was marching through their country, and they failed in their effort. Rome tried. Nero and the Roman government and empire tried to stop the church, and they couldn't do it. Constantine, years later... After the days and times of the apostles, Constantine, who was the emperor, our leader, if you will, of Rome, informed what we would call the Roman Catholic Church eventually, tried to force the church, that is the church, to accept their dogma of the Trinity, which they, the Roman church, Constantine and those religious uh, helpers of his, borrowed from the pagan world, religious world, the heathens, they worshiped the Trinity uh, for, since the time of Nimrod, Samurimus, and, and Tamas. But anyway, the church failed to accept or refused to accept this dogma. And the church passed through the dark Middle Ages in which millions upon millions of Jesus' name, one God, saints, were mortared rather than to bow to the demands of Rome. At the turn of the 20th, I'm hurrying here, at the turn of the 20th century, revival fires began to burn brightly in America, spreading across the United States as well as into foreign countries. There are literally millions upon millions that have been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and filled with God's Holy Spirit even in these past few years. The revival, along with the technological changes, along with the invasion of ungodliness in our society, has ushered us, the church, into the last of the last days. Jesus is coming. 
Jesus is coming. I believe what we... MPC, we stand on the verge of the most exciting and world-changing event humanity has ever witnessed or ever will witness witness in its 6,000-year history. And that will be the catching away of multiplied millions of Jesus' name, baptized Holy Spirit, one God people that will rise up to meet the Lord in the air, in the clouds, in the sky. What a day that's going to be. Amen. What if it would happen here tonight? What if it, and, and I believe that it could. I believe the Lord could come. Well, he can come when he wants to. But I believe scripturally, I know of no passage, no prophecy that lacks fulfillment. But here, I, that's me. But anyway, what if it were to happen here tonight? Would we be ready? Would we just, I'll just leave this old shirt behind. I won't need it. And rise to meet the Lord in the air. Amen. And so the revival is with us, we stand on the verge of that great event. Listen to the way Paul put it. You know it. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Hallelujah. What a hope. What a promise. And, and we're going up. We're going up. And then some seven years, about seven years later, according to Walls chapter 4, John writes about the church like this in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 beginning. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse... We already read about him a while ago. He that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. But notice the next verse, 14. And the armies which were in heaven, followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And all you have to do back is go back in that chapter 19, back, what is it, verse 8, verse 6, thereabout, where John said the white linen is the righteousness of the saints. Now, this is me. I believe I'm on one of those white horses. All right. Amen. Amen. Now, I know Brother Cole wouldn't have any problem riding but the last horse I got on, I fell off. The, 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 the saddle didn't agree with me and went off. But anyway, but I'll be glorified then so I could ride an ostrich probably even. But, in, but anyway, what's in store is so exciting to think about. We're getting close, brothers and sisters. We're getting close. I know you've heard that for 50 years if you're old enough to hear, I know we've heard it ever since you've been in church. You've heard the Lord's coming. Sure, the Lord is coming. Probably one of the first messages I heard many, many moons ago was the Lord's coming. I've preached it dozens and dozens and dozens of times, but I haven't changed my mind. It's still right here in the book. 
He's coming. He's coming. Now, Peter, we're not through yet. We're sermon three. Peter, he jumps beyond the millennium. He jumps beyond the, the great white throne children. He jumps he jumps behind Revelation 19, Revelation 20, Revelation 21. He jumps beyond that. And listen to what he said in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Oh, we're going to a wonderful place. What a day, what a time. I'd like to spend a half hour and talking about the white throne. I'd like to talk about Armageddon. I'd like to talk about the getting together. I'd like to talk about that millennium. I'd like to talk about Jew and the Gentiles coming to the church coming together and recognizing and worshiping because the king is going to come during the millennium, the kingdom age. He's going to have a throne. Mm -hmm. And the church, you know what? We're going to have a city. Uh-huh. That's the home of the bride. Uh-huh. It, it's a big old place. It's a big old place in which there will be no sickness, no pain, no sorrow, no frustrations, if you will. Amen. We, we, we can only imagine what it's going to be like, but no more sin, no more, would you stand, no more sickness, no more Satan, no more deaths, no more funerals, no more, no more, no more, no more, no more. You ever sung this song? To Canaan's land, I'm on my way, never dies. My darkest night will turn to day where the soul never dies. No sad farewells, no tear dimmed eyes. All is love and the soul never dies a rose is blooming there for me where the soul never dies and I will spend eternity where the soul never dies oh my 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 no sad farewells no tear dimmed eyes <laughs> where all is love and the soul never die. Why don't you come marching up here like they're going to that city? Amen. <laughs> On my way. Now y'all can say whatever you is going to say. Thank you for listening to the MPC podcast. We trust that today's message has inspired you, encouraged you, and strengthened you in the Lord. We would like to invite you to join us again by simply subscribing to our podcast, and we encourage you to write a review if it has been a blessing to you.
Again, you can find us at medorchurch.com to learn more about our ministry.